Hello, Discasters. How are you all doing tonight? Today? Tonight. It's tonight for me. So how are you all doing tonight? Uh, I hope you all had a wonderful week. So uh, today is an exciting episode because I am all about this movie that we're going to talk about real quick. Uh, Oliver and Company. So fun. So good. I genuinely really really enjoyed it it is just so fun and like the the songs are fun and just everything about the movie is fun and it's cute and that's just kind of about it really it's just a fun movie that's like that's just kind of the thing and so i'm kind of glad that like the um what was considered the 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 Bronze Age of Di- sorry no not the Bronze Age oh no yeah the Bronze Age of Disney uh, comes to an end with uh, with Oliver and Company uh, so yeah it's it's looking great I like it it's fun uh, but just a quick headline uh, today to get the to get things started uh, there was an occurrence that happened at at an Epcot ride. So, this is why this is why they, they say it. They freaking say it at, at the beginning of every ride. Keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. It's not a hard, it's not a hard instruction. But apparently, this guest decided to not do that. So uh, the headline is, of course, the guest drops an Apple Watch on an Epcot ride, jumps out to get it, and then apparently has forty thousand dollars in fraudulent credit card charges. So like this, this guest is just it's just a lot of shit happened. Uh, the woman uh, lost her ride, lost her watch on a ride at Epcot, uh, and then apparently got charged forty grand for something. Uh, the, the woman was fidgeting with her Apple Watch while she rode the slow-moving The Seas with Nemo and Friends attraction on, on April thirteenth. The ride was in an elevated position, and the woman said that at the worst possible time, when the watch popped off her wrist. Apparently, it was an Apple Hermes watch, which is worth $1,300, fell through the grated floor on the ride. It tumbled down and landed on a pathway below. The woman saw, could see her watch, but it was just out of reach while she was stuck on the ride. So her husband jumped off the moving ride to try and retrieve it, which is, of course, something you just don't do on any ride at a Disney, on, on a Disney ride, just ever. Just don't do it. So the operator stopped the ride, and then a cast member came over, reminded the woman and her husband, you know, that was a guy of the ride. Uh, and then the cast member assured them that she could see the watch and Disney would return it to their hotel. So the woman had good reason to be worried, of course. She has several credit cards linked to the watch, including an American Express card with an unlimited credit line. So basically, the staff advised her that they did not have the watch uh, at guest relations. And then the credit and then the fraud alerts started coming in. Uh, she was staying at, the Dis- at Disney's Contemporary Resort. Uh, filed the incident uh, with Disney Guest Relations and then double-checked with anybody to see if anybody had it, and then apparently no one did, which is kind of the big thing. So the woman advised that has several... That's a weird sentence. Uh, She was told that that several fraud alerts had come throughout the course of the day on her Amex card. According to the woman, there was approximately $40,000 of fraudulent charges on her card. And so the woman had shut the credit cards down that were attached to the watch. So, yeah. Uh, according to the report taken on April 14th, the woman wanted to persecute, to prosecute whoever rang up the charges and contacted the Orange County Sheriff's Office to report grand theft. 
she was told that the research to research the fraudulent charge so authorities could track where the card was used. Disney security was notified. Uh, and yeah. So, uh, of course, the woman's name and other information are, are redacted on the sheriff's report, which also gave any indication, which also doesn't give any indication of what thief bought, uh, what the thief bought for $40,000. So that's the big thing is that this person lost their watch and then because their watch was connected to a bunch of credit cards then a bunch of the credit cards started getting charged so here's my opinion of the whole thing don't play with your shit and don't stick your hands and arms outside of the thing it's not a hard thing to do but of course shit happens and i get it but still anyway it's fine. Anyway, another big headline is that Epcot's Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is open. It's running. It's good to go. There are videos of it now. Uh, there's a video. Uh, I tweeted a video of the uh, of the full ride on our Twitter page at cast underscore diz. Uh, I will link it in the show notes as well. You can take a look at it. It looks very fun. It's like it's interesting because it's it's just like rise of the resistance uh it comes in stages so you have the opening queue which has a lot of fun stuff uh the the concept is that um xandar has basically put up like a pop-up thing in epcot as a way to connect the two planets and for a way for xandar to share its, its technology with earth kind of thing or as they refer to us as terra as terrans um it's really fun it's really cute. They, of course, brought back the whole cast to, re- to reprise their roles, respectively. Um, and visually, it's beautiful. The queue is stunning. It is incredible. Uh, and then the idea is that they you go into a room and they teleport you up to a Xandarian starship that's uh, orbiting Earth. And it kind of does that thing like it does in Rise of the Resistance where it goes through stages, right? And so, like, then there's another stage where you find out what the problem is and then you go into the ride itself. So it's interesting that, like, it seems like this is the direction that some of these major um, IP rides are taking. Personally, I don't mind it. I do love a good immersion. I do love seeing the technology and how far the uh, Imagineers are pushing things because, like, the Imagineers are absolutely incredible. They are amazing, amazing people that work in these parks and that work behind the scenes to give us the entertainment that we that we get, right? So they do such an amazing they do such amazing work, and I love seeing it. So, um, yeah, it's visually it's a beautiful ride, and then it goes through. So, it, like, it kind of reminds me a lot of Space Mountain. Uh, just a little just different in that it's with guardians of the galaxy as opposed to just some random roller coaster do i think every ride needs to be special ip like this no sometimes all you want is just a fun mildly themed roller coaster i mean like the incredicoaster that one's got it that one's got a theme to it that one's got a story but it's simple it's just a roller coaster that they kind of themed into incredibles which is still like, right? So they didn't really change anything. They didn't change anything. They added things. I like it. I like being credit coaster. I think it's super fun. But I do think it's nice that we have these big fancy IP related rides. But I do also think that we can do with a few more just regular random rides, you know, just random coasters, random 
rides and things like that. I do think that those also have their place. Like just because we have the technology to do these amazing trackless immersive experiences, I don't think it means that we have to do them 100% of the time. That's just kind of my, my that's my opinion of it. Any hoozles. So yeah, so I got that up on uh, the Discast Twitter page. Uh, I'll link both the Twitter page and the YouTube video in the show notes. You, y'all can take a look at it. And yeah, uh, that's kind of it for the major things um, uh, in relation to Disney news. Uh, just keeping things a little short, just wanted to get straight through to the discussion today of, of course, uh, freaking Oliver and Company, which again is super fun. So if you don't know, if you're not aware, the film Oliver and Company is basically an adaptation of the infamous Charles Dickens novel Oliver Twist uh, that they basically just animated with pets. <laughs> the pitch was very quickly approved, apparently. Literally, uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg had a pitch meeting with the animation staff, uh, and they just pitched. They're like, what if we did Oliver Twist but with dogs? And people were like, yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> Which honestly, like, sure. Why the hell not, right? Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of the story of Oliver Twist, uh, it is, of course, a story of of, um, of an orphan who was, like, living in, an, in like, a, I want to say, in Victorian? I think it's Victorian. Maybe? It takes place in 18, like, yeah, in the early 1800s. Uh, so I do believe that that is, uh, well, it's, very often referred to as like Dickensian, um, uh, like Dickensian London. But I also think it is comparable to like, uh, Victorian London, I think if my, if I have things correct either way. So like Oliver, like is an orphan who lives in a, who lives in a workhouse, uh, kind of gets kicked out of the workhouse or escapes the workhouse, uh, gets found by another like little pickpocket known as Jack Dawkins, AKA the artful Dodger, uh, and then kind of does, a, gets into a little bit of a life of crime. Uh, he ends up getting adopted, uh, and then tragedy happens with the adoption and then, uh, goes into a new home kind of thing. I, I'm not, I don't remember exactly everything that happens with Oliver Twist. Uh, but there are some minor similarities and some differences. So with Oliver and company, some of the similarities are basically that you have little, 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 little teeny little kitten, Oliver. Uh, the film basically starts off uh, with this beautiful uh, hand-drawn uh, overview of New York City, because that's where this movie takes place, takes place in New York City. And we have this wonderful, so I really like the music in the in this movie. It starts off with this wonderful song called Once About a Time in New York City, which is written by one of uh one of our one of our icons, Howard Ashman, uh, and performed by Huey Lewis. Uh and it's basically like about Oliver, like just uh like a message to Oliver to get him to not to worry that things will things will be okay and stuff. But it's pretty sad because he's he's basically in a box of other kittens that are for sale, you know, and then eventually he becomes the last kitten, which is really sad. He ends up uh, in like this rainstorm and the box opens and he's almost washed away and then he's kind of left to his own device. He's left on his own. It's it like starts off pretty sad. Like 
right from the get-go i was actually like a little oh like oh, the poor kid like just i just felt so bad for him like the poor kitty he shouldn't have been left alone like that anyway so he ends up uh uh kind of going along by himself he gets chased by a bunch of dogs like almost gets eaten until he finds himself uh hiding in like sitting on like the wheel under the fender or under the uh like under the the fender of a big like work truck um and wakes up the next morning goes to try and find food and he finds uh or he goes out into the street and he's like trying to like uh what's it called just trying to entice people to like adopt him and pet and pet him and get their attention uh and then he finds uh some guy who's like selling hot dogs just a random hot dog vendor and uh kind of gets shooed away and then we see a glimpse of dodger who's uh i think what is he he's like a he's definitely a mutt that's for sure uh and dodger we kind of get an idea of his personality like he's introduced very interestingly he's like got like this fun walk he's like i'm cool like i'm a cool guy i'm a cool dog that kind of thing he ends up like trying to flirt with this random pomeranian it's very silly <laughs> anyway and so he see he looks over and he sees the hot dog vendors like fighting with uh fighting with uh oliver uh who doesn't actually have a name at this point like he, it's just a nameless cat nameless kitten uh and the name doesn't come until later and so dodger goes up and like uh offers to help and then uh, fakes chase him, fakes to, fakes chases, fake chases Oliver around, while Oliver is distracting the vendor. Dodger grabs some hot dogs and then kind of wanders away with Oliver. And then uh, suddenly reneges on the deal. Uh, it's kind of a dick about it, really. Uh, and uh, keeps these hot dogs away from Oliver. And then as he's, like, kind of walking through and, like, Oliver's chasing him all through New York, this is where we get our next song, which is one of my favorite songs of this movie, uh, which is Why Should I Worry, uh, written by Dan Hartman and uh, Charlie Midnight, uh, just random songwriters, uh, but is performed by Billy Joel, who also does the voice of Dodger. Like, <laughs> why the hell not? Just why the hell not, right? It's great. Uh, this song is very fun. It is very cool. I freaking love it. It's great. Anyway, and so, like, they do the song, and then um, uh, Dodger ends up going back to kind of, like, the their lair, I guess. I guess you could call it a, a lair. Yeah. Uh, where we meet the other dogs that are part of the, that are part of the crew. Uh, the lair is like in like an old boat that's like down by, uh, it's like just docked at the, uh, at the river and, uh, Oliver follows him all the way and the dog or Dodger, uh, tosses the hot dogs to all the other dogs. And here is where we meet the rest of the dogs. Here we have, uh, Tito, who is a Chihuahua, who is voiced by Cheech Marine. Einstein, who is a Great Dane, uh, who is voiced by Richard Mulligan, 
uh, don't really know who that is. Uh, we have Francis, who is uh, a bulldog, a British bulldog, who is voiced by Roscoe Lee Brown, uh, who is apparently a big Shakespearean actor, which is very funny. Uh, and uh, Rita, who is a Saluki, voiced by uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who gets a song in a little bit and is voiced by Ruth Pointer. Yes, one of the Pointer sisters does the singing voice for Rita the Saluki, which is great. And that's not, like, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. This movie has a hell of a cast because we eventually meet Fagin, who's like a thief who just lives in the barge with all these animals. And he owes money to this guy named Sykes, who's a loan shark. Now, both Fagin and Sykes are actually characters from Oliver Twist. Um, Fagin is the guy who uh, actually runs like the crew that uh, that the Artful Dodger, Oliver, and all the other kids are a part of, who are all also like uh, just like street criminals. And uh, Bill Sykes is just a robber who I, we who I believe is under the employ of Fagin. So there was a little bit of change in here, in which Sykes is kind of like this. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him a crime lord. He's not really a crime lord. He's just. Uh, he just has a lot of money, and he lent money to Fagin, and then so Fagin owes him money, and so the whole thing is that he and his dogs go out, they thieve, and Fagin tries to get the money to pay back Sykes. That's kind of the whole premise of the movie. That's the whole uh, like a big part of the plot, and. Uh, and yeah, so Fagin is voiced by Dom DeLuise, uh, who's a big name that we know. Uh, he's worked on Mel Brooks stuff. Uh, he rose to fame mostly in the 70s. Uh, and Frank Welker. Uh, oh, Frank Welker was uh, Louie, who was the hot dog vendor. Now, Frank Welker, if you don't know, he has had some, like, he's, he's done so much. He was a very big, um, he started off in radio and then got into voice acting. He's most famous for voicing Fred Jones in the Scooby-Doo movie. Uh, and as well as Scooby-Doo himself since 2002. So, yeah, that's kind of like where a lot of people that you would probably most know him from. Anyway, but one of my favorite uh, cast choices uh, comes in a little later, but I'll get to her in a moment. Uh, so basically, uh, Dodger, uh, kind of jokes that like, oh yeah, like, uh, I got these hot dogs from like, from some, from some character who was like big, sharp claws and was super scary. And then in comes Oliver, <laughs> just a tiny little kid and scares everybody. And then, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is who you stole the hot dogs from. And then Dodger's like trying to play it off cool. It's like, oh, like, where were you being kid? And so like tries to play cool. It's very funny. Uh, but of course, you know, whatever. Uh, everybody kind of jokes about it, and then uh, they all kind of befriend Oliver. Uh, but then that's where we meet Fagin, who comes in and then tells everybody that, uh, or uh, we meet Fagin. He sees Oliver, kind of befriends Oliver immediately because Fagin's not a bad guy. He's just down on his luck. And that's when we hear the big horn. That's when Sykes comes in. And Sykes owned these two Dobermans. Um, I believe their names are uh, Roscoe and DeSoto. And he, they kind of harass the dogs. 
while Fagan goes up to Sykes to talk to Sykes and is like, look, I don't have your money. You know, does the whole thing where he's like, I don't have your money. I'll get your money, blah, blah, blah. Sykes threatens him. It's the classic thing. Uh, and so the dogs try and like act all tough and cool and shit while everybody's like trying to be cool and, you know, not start any shit. Uh, they find Oliver. They threaten Oliver, obviously. Uh, but eventually they, uh, 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 they eventually get called back after, especially after like Oliver, like full on scratches, uh, one of the, I think it's, who does he scratch? I think he scratches DeSoto. Yes. Scratches DeSoto's nose and it's great. Earns both Fagin and the dogs' respect because Oliver ain't no punk bitch. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And that's kind of where we get, uh, the idea that's where we get the uh the 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 plot that's where the plot drop kind of comes in so everybody goes to sleep next morning next morning fagin takes him and everybody uh out into the streets uh fagin goes to try and pawn off uh some of his stolen goods uh all the dogs and oliver uh kind of try and think of a plan to try and steal more money or steal stuff for more money uh, this is where another song comes in. Now, this song is very fun. Uh, this song is called Streets of Gold. This is the one that's sung by Ruth Pointer. Uh, it's another very, just very fun song. A lot of the songs in this movie just kind of like have this very fun. I don't know. It's really hard to like pinpoint it. Like the genres that are that are listed here are like pop rock, blues rock, general film score, uh, which I think kind of fits. But all in all. It's another very fun song, uh, sung by Ruth Pointer. Uh, it's, in my opinion, the song is too short. I think the song could have easily been longer and been like a full musical number. It's, it's great. Anyway, so this is them to try and like teach Oliver what it's like to live on the streets and like and be streetwise and that sort of thing. And that's where they see this big old limo, and they're like, "That's our target." And then we cut to to the limo, and inside we discover that there is. Uh, there's a little girl who's reading a letter from her parents. Uh, her name is Jenny. And uh, she's being ridden around by her uh, butler, chauffeur, guy, caretaker kind of thing because her parents are in Europe. They're obviously big, fancy business people. Uh, and then the dogs decide to play a trick. They pretend that the dog gets hit, that one of the dogs, or actually, so Einstein bashes his head against the, against the car. The driver stops comes out and there he sees francis just kind of like lying there oh being all dramatic oh because he's like the dramatic bulldog it's very funny francis's whole thing is that he's like this very proper very british uh a fan of high art and theater and stuff like that it's very funny and so he's like very dramatic he's so over dramatic it's very funny and then tito and oliver go inside to hotwire the car uh just to make it so that it can't flee i guess um and then jenny starts to undo or like to bring down the window that's inside the limo. And then uh, Tito gets zapped and Oliver gets, gets caught. Jenny finds Oliver and rescues him and uh, basically brings him home and like basically adopts Oliver on the spot. And it's very sweet. It's just a little girl with like a new kitten and stuff. And then they go back to the house. The dogs all go to the house to try or follow the, or no, sorry. All the dogs, except for Dodger and Tito, uh, go back to find Fagin. 
and then we see Jenny come home with with Oliver and like there's a little montage of her with Oliver and stuff and it's very cute we see him get his collar and his name and a bowl all that good stuff but we also meet we meet Georgette so Oliver isn't the only animal that lives in that house now so Georgette is a prize winning poodle that the Foxworth family Jenny's uh, Jenny's family that they own and this character is so great. So Georgette's whole thing is that she is this prize-winning dog. She has an ego the size of her bedroom. Like she has this big fancy bedroom, this beautiful bed. Like like she has a makeup vanity and everything. Uh, and she is voiced by the incomparable Bette Midler. And if there wasn't a better act- if there wasn't a better character choice, like acting choice, cast choice, casting choice, yeah. She's just such such a fucking good job. And so like the the butler comes up and is like like wakes her up and is just like, Georgette, your public awaits. And then she does her big opening number, uh, which is very funny. Uh, it's called Perfect Isn't Easy, which is performed by Bette Midler, partly written by Barry Manilow, because why the fuck not? Um and it is performed so well. It's just so good. It's basically all about her and how she's perfect and how all these dogs love her and how she feels pity on them and how she's perfection. She comes down the stairs and she meets Oliver and then she's like, what the fuck is going on? Basically, you know, she's, she immediately feels threatened by Oliver, of course. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so from there we kind of understand that like uh georgette is not happy with this arrangement so that's kind of part of that whole relationship so we cut back to uh everyone else and everyone else decides that what they're going to do is they're going to rescue oliver so they concoct a plan and they come back to the house and they do a little bit of subterfuge they Sneak into the house. Uh, they meet Georgette. Tito meets Georgette. Immediately falls in love with her because, you know, she's supposed to be perfect. And everybody tells Georgette, look, while we're here, all we want to do is come here and get our friend back. We just want the cat. We just want Oliver. So Georgette, of course, offers to help because she doesn't want Oliver there anyway. And so she's more than happy to help them get Oliver out of the house. So while Jenny's at school, they sneak into the bedroom where Oliver is sleeping. Rita thinks they should just leave Oliver. He looks happy. The place looks nice. It's like that whole thing of where it's like, look, it's clear that Oliver is living a wonderful life. He look, he seems happy. Why should we take him? But they're like, no, no, no we're going to do it. We're, he's, part of our, he's part of our crew. He's part of our family. We're going to take him back. And so they do. So they throw him in a bag and they run away with him. Cut back to uh, the cut back to the barge where they live they're all happy they're all proud they're like yeah we we did it we saved you oliver and oliver was like why i was happy like y'all took me away from her what what am i gonna do about jenny and so rita is like yeah i knew it we shouldn't have taken him dodger's taking a little bit of offense to this he thinks that he, he feels i don't know i guess he feels shitty or he feels I guess betrayed? I don't know. Like, Dodgers is not happy with the fact that Oliver wants to go back. Uh, 
And so he's like, fine, go. And so just as Oliver's about to leave, Fagin comes back. He's distressed. Like, there's nothing that he can do. He has no money. He sees Oliver. He, pet, he pets him, and he's like, oh, you have a collar. And then he sees the address. He's like, oh, it's probably from a big fancy house and his big fancy mansion with all the money and everything. And, and then he gets an idea. He wants to ransom Oliver to whoever owns the cat, you know, because clearly the person has money. So he does that. He drops the, they drops the letter off at the house. Jenny comes home, sees the letter, realizes that Oliver has been catnapped. And then, yeah, and so the whole thing is that Fagin is going to is ransoming Oliver for all the money to pay back Sykes. So Fagin goes to Sykes's office. We see that Sykes works in like a at like a um like a shipping. I think he he owns like a shipping company basically. And so he goes to see Sykes. He presents the idea to Sykes. Uh and then Sykes is like, "Fine. We'll do this." And so they're waiting for Jenny, but they don't know that it's Jenny. That's the thing. They don't know that the who owns the kitten is a little girl. And so they see Jenny. Uh, Fagin literally bumps into her, doesn't know why she's there. They talk. Jenny is like, someone stole my cat. I just want my cat back. And then Fagin's like, fuck. And then so he decides to give the cat to Jenny, give the cat back to Jenny because he sees that all that Jenny has is just her piggy bank. And so he feels guilty. And gives her gives her Oliver. So Fagin does the right thing. Fagin just again, he's a nice guy. He's just down on his luck, basically. So he gives the cat back. Sykes has been watching the entire time. He rushes back, or he drives past, literally kidnaps uh Jenny, and then goes back to his uh like shipping place, barge thing, whatever. And so Fagin is like, well, shit, we got to get the, we got to get the girl back. Like, this is just not right. So he and the rest of the dogs, uh, head over to where they are and concoct a plan to go inside and get Jenny back. So all the animals go inside, they sneak around, they end up getting Jenny, but then Sykes six the dogs on them. And so now there's this big chase. They end up, uh, they end up being rescued by Fagin, who kind of comes in with his little scooter. He's got this funny scooter that's got like a, like a, what looks like a shopping cart attached to it. It's very funny. So he comes in, he picks up all the dogs, and then races out. Sykes chases after them in his car, and then a big chase uh, occurs. Um, they go through, they're like racing through streets and then into the subway. Uh, this big chase happens, you know, Sykes is going crazy and like Jenny falls off the cart into the car, it, like, uh, like into Sykes's car. And then like, uh, Dodger and Oliver jump onto the car and then the Dobermans try and get them. And then they get knocked off the car and they get electrocuted on the track, both of them. So both Roscoe and DeSoto are now dead. And then eventually they get back to the scooter that ends up being driven by Tito, which is great. Um, and they end up, because uh, on the track that they're on, now there's a little bit of, well, I don't know, it, it's potentially uh, inconsistent, inconsistent here. Because when they're in the subway, we see a subway car coming towards them from the, if you're, so if you're on the platform, on the right hand side is the inbound train. So presumably on the left-hand side, which is the side that they go down, is the outbound train, right? 
But when they're on that track, when they end up on one of the bridges, they end up on the inbound track. So either they somehow ended up switching like during the subway, like while they're in the subway tunnel or the animators just fucked it and just, yeah, it's just uh, an inconsistent thing. Regardless, they see a train coming directly for them. And so Tito somehow bounces the, the scooter onto like, onto the, the, like the side of the bridge and then Sykes get like crashes fully into the thing. And then of course, you know, he dies. And uh, so everyone's safe. All the good guys are safe. Sykes is now dead. And then uh, everyone drives the car to safety. Jenny and Oliver are reunited. It's beautiful. Cut to the next morning and it is Jenny's birthday. And Jenny is celebrating with all the animals and Fagin is there with the, with the butler, and they're all... Uh, Winston, that's his name. And everyone's having a good time. And then he gets a phone call from Jenny's parents. Jenny's parents say that they're going to be returning from Rome the next day, and so they'll be there for the birthday, and so it's all very sweet. So, of course, Oliver decides to, jo- to live with Jenny, and the rest of the gang uh, kind of give him their blessing, which he doesn't really need, but it's just nice, I guess. Uh, and it's a happily ever after really i mean except for fagin i guess because fagin is still poor but i don't know who knows maybe winston was nice enough and lent him some money or something i don't know either way he doesn't have to worry about sex anymore which is good so yeah and then that's oliver and company it's again a very fun movie it's got like it's it's good there's no other way to say it it's good. I'd give it like an 8 out of 10, maybe 9. Like, it's a fun movie. It's got great songs. Uh, the animation is le- is legitimately very good. I really like the animation. didn't seem like it was shitty or whatever, but uh, I really liked it. When this movie was put into production, it was during a big production meeting in, like, 1984. Or, sorry, 19, like, no, yeah, uh, early 1980s. Uh, after the release of The Black Cauldron, people were, or uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg were kind of like, we need ideas, just pitch shit to us. Uh, and so Ron Clements, who after who had pitched The Little Mermaid and Treasure Island in Space, uh, afterwards, that's when Pete Young came in with Oliver Twist with Dogs, which was clearly approved. Uh, and then production went into those, those movies, respectively, except for Treasure Island in Space. So that one was actually shelved until much later when we get Treasure Planet, that which happened much later, which, in my opinion, is an incredibly underrated film. It's beautiful. I can't wait to get to it. Anyway, and like originally this movie is going to be called Oliver and the Dodger, with, which is going to be much darker. Apparently, it was going to have like the Dobermans, Roscoe and DeSoto, full on murdering Oliver's parents and setting up the story to focus on Oliver exacting revenge. Uh, I'm glad they scrapped that because that's depressing and no thank you. So yeah, so I'm glad that they went with what they did. It's just a much, much better, much better movie. At some point there was going to be like a subplot with Fagin stealing a rare panda from the zoo and shit like that, which is of course dropped, uh, when, uh, Scribner, uh, instead pitched that Oliver would be put up for ransom instead. 
uh, Scribner uh, being, I believe, one of the animators? No. Sorry, no. Uh, director. Uh, George Scribner, uh, along with Richard. Richard Rich. Dick Rich. <laughs> Dick Rich. That's great. Uh, there's actually a fun sequence. I just, re- I just realized um, that during Dodger's song, there's a bunch of little mini cameos. I mean, like, animated cameos from some other famous dogs, like Pongo, um some of the dogs from Lady and the Tramp, like other other dogs, uh, realistic dogs, if, if that makes sense, uh, which I thought was just very fun and you could catch it. Uh, this, So this movie, so this is interesting because this movie was released on the same day as The Land Before Time. So now you have The Land, so now you have this movie, Oliver Twist, or sorry, Oliver and Company, uh, which is competing against The Land Before Time, which had Don Bluth direct and produce. Uh, Don Bluth having been a previous animator for Disney. So it's kind of interesting. Um, the budget for this movie was $31 million. Uh, box office was roughly $121 million, So I think it did pretty great. Uh, and then to compare with Land Before Time, per, uh, budget was $12.3 million box office 84 and a half million so uh oliver company clearly seemed to have done better however it did cost more so i think in comparison like uh, in relation to each other i think they both did roughly roughly about the same in terms of popularity and both are still i in popularity i think the line before time had a longer lasting effect i think because i think more people know about the line before time than they do about oliver and company which I think is a shame because I think both movies are fantastic. But of course this is about Oliver. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this was released in 1988. This is the last movie in what is considered to be the, uh, the bronze age of Disney because after this, everything changed after this Disney studios would become a fucking powerhouse. And we are going to talk about that next week when we get into the renaissance period when we we start off with the beautiful the stunning the 10 out of 10 movie that is the little mermaid i am so excited i'm just i'm so excited so i hope you all will tune in with me next time when we discuss the little mermaid uh but for now my rating of this film give it like an eight pushing a nine out of ten this movie is legitimately very good it's very fun uh it's emotional it's funny the songs are great it's wonderfully animated and yeah it's just a killer it's great i love it so yeah tune in next week when we discuss the little mermaid i'm so so excited i'm so excited you guys i'm so excited (laughs) talk to you all next week Have a good one. Eat your food, drink your water, take your meds, all that good stuff. Bye.